trauma, one of the most overused words in the human language, yet under-addressed issues in the human experience. In this series, we're going to be discussing childhood, church, relational, and racial trauma. Yeah, it's going to get deep. But this is the growth work that changes and transforms lives. What is trauma? How do we identify and address it? And where and in whom can we find healing? Join me on tonight's episode, It's Too Much. Hey friend, I've seen this quote going around on social media and it's not new, so I'm sure you have too, but it says something like, worry about your own sins because God is not going to ask you about mine. And while I understand the reasoning behind it, it's so incomplete because no, God is not going to ask me about your sins, but he is going to ask me about my obedience. He is going to ask me why I didn't love my neighbor like I love myself. And he has given me a commandment to love you. And it is not love to overlook a pattern that is to someone's detriment and is doing them harm. If you had a friend that, for whatever reason, out of ignorance, continually placed their hand on a hot stove, would you tell them, I love you too much to tell you not to do that? I know that you keep hurting yourself, but I love you too much to try to tell you right from wrong. That's not my business. I love you too much to teach you a better way, even though I do know a better way. You seem to enjoy hurting yourself, so I'm just going to stand by and by my silence encourage you to continue to do so. Absolutely not. That's not what a friend is. That's not what a friend does. And so today I'm coming to you, friend, as your friend. And I want you to know that as we discuss the subject of trauma, that I believe your trauma is real. And I also believe there's a better way to handle it. I can show you. The question is, will you let me do that? I hope the answer is yes. So Merriam-Webster defines trauma in three ways. First, they define trauma as an injury, such as a wound to what they call living tissue caused by an extrinsic agent. That's just a really fancy way of saying that someone was hurt by something or someone outside of themselves. Sometimes the hurt or the pain that we receive is the result of an object that's a weapon. And other times it's the result of a person that's a weapon. Laurel K. Hamilton has a quote that says, there are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. Let me read that again. She says, there are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. Secondly, Merriam-Webster defines trauma as a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury. Again, that's a disordered psychic or behavioral state resulting from severe mental or emotional stress or physical injury. In layman's terms, that means your trauma has transitioned from being an event, something that happened, to a state, a place or way of being. We're going to talk about identifying with our trauma a little bit later, so just place a bookmark in it for now. And third, 
They define trauma simply as an emotional upset, an emotional upset. And maybe that definition works for some, but I bet for others of you, (laughs) it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of your trauma. So what makes an experience traumatic? An experience is traumatic when it is kind of affected by two things. It's positioning and proximity, your position to someone and your closeness to them. What do I mean by that? When you have submitted yourself or have been involuntarily submitted, think of children, right, who don't get to pick their parents. But when you have submitted yourself to someone, you are in a very vulnerable position. On that, I think we can agree. Those relationships breed trust and dependency as a result of being under another person's control or instruction or leadership, etc. The trauma occurs when that person that you've submitted yourself to mismanages their authority over you. I'll say it again. The trauma occurs when the person that you've submitted yourself to mismanages their authority over you. And as we go through this series and address different types of trauma, we'll be discussing childhood trauma, church trauma, relational trauma, and racial trauma. We're going to discuss how the mismanagement of authority plays a role in each one of those. But first, we have to be willing to admit that a trauma has occurred. Now, listen, I'm not trying to speak anything over you that is not your story. This series on trauma may not apply to you at all. Maybe you have lived a pure, blessed, peaceful life where you always felt safe and loved. And I am so happy that that's your testimony. But many have not had that experience. And I guarantee you that whether you're aware of it or not, that some of those people are probably the closest ones that you do life with. And this may just be an opportunity for you to learn something that might help them. So why does trauma go unaddressed? Trauma can go unaddressed for several reasons. One, we still value the relationship that led to the traumatic experience. Can somebody go there with me? That relationship is still important to us. It still plays a huge role in our lives. It can be a parental relationship. It can be a marital relationship. It could be a pastoral relationship. It can be a boss-employee or mentor-employee relationship. We still find value in that relationship outside of the trauma. So it can be hard for us to address it because we don't want to upset the relationship. Second, we equate not talking about the trauma with moving on. So we feel that as if we ignore it, it'll go away. We've moved on because we don't think about it. We've moved on because we don't talk about it. And that's something that could not be furthest from the truth. Third, we haven't or can't yet define what has happened to us. We're unaware that we live with trauma. And this really comes into play when we talk about racial trauma, because we have lived in a country that is imbued with white supremacy and white privilege. And I'm not afraid to say those terms. Neither should you be. We live in a country that is imbued with that, that many Black people, many people of color aren't even aware of the ongoing toxic stress that we live in. And so we can't address it because we're not, we don't know anything different. It has been our reality for so long, for generations. 
we don't get that it's not normal to feel that way. And so we're going to really dive into that when we start talking about uh, racial trauma. But last but not least, our trauma responses have become part of our personality. And we identify heavily with what we've gone through. So you have kind of number two, one end of the spectrum where we don't talk about it. We don't acknowledge it. We don't uh, think about it. And so in a way, we've not addressed it. On the other hand, we've not addressed it because we so heavily identify with it. We don't necessarily know that we want to be healed from it because we have taken it, taken it on as part of our personality. When you have endured abuse, you not only have to unlearn the abusive tactics that were used against you to manipulate you or to, to break you down and keep you stifled, but you also have to unlearn any unhealthy defense mechanisms that you've developed to protect yourself. What do you mean? Well, we have probably seen, right? It's a pretty common trope in books, movies. Uh, many of us may have done it in our own uh, relational romantic lives where there's always one partner, it could be the man or the woman, who just has a hard time letting their walls down, right? They have a, a hard time um, allowing someone to love them or to give love out. And it's always a result of something that happened in a prior relationship, in their childhood, some experience that has taught them that you can only survive emotionally by throwing these walls up, right? That's, a, that's an example of an unhealthy defense mechanism that we have to unlearn if we want to live a high quality, highly abundant life. So the question becomes, how do you unlearn those things that you put into place, likely as a child, as a coping mechanism, as something that you have used throughout your life in order to self-protect and make yourself feel safe? These are not things that are undone by, you know, overnight or just one attempt at discussing it. This is a part of a healing process that goes on for some time. And so I want to just kind of, again, whet our appetite with this idea that I, I do not intend <laughs> to cover in this one episode or even probably in all four um, or five, everything that must be addressed when it comes to trauma. This is a situation where if you um, are inclined to believe that you have suffered a trauma, whether it's something you already know that you've been through or the Holy Spirit reveals to you that something has happened to you that has led to you uh, developing a defense mechanism or somehow hindering your life, that's something that I definitely encourage you to get some spiritual counseling as well as some mental health therapy uh, to dig through that issue and to really come up with your healing plan for getting to the other side of what we refer to as the messy middle, the hard work, right? No one wants to live in bondage to someone else's actions, right? We don't want to live a life um, in bondage to things that we did not choose, right? And we certainly don't want to live in bondage to things that once protected us, but now are holding us back. At the root of trauma um, and any kind of enduring trauma response or defense mechanism is always a feeling of uncertainty. We can be triggered easily by uncertainty and go back to a place mentally that we may not dwell in physically, but that takes us back, that makes us revert to almost a childlike nature insecurity, anxiety, instability. These are all triggers that can cause us to take up our shield, so to speak, i.e. coping mechanisms that may not be healthy for the season that we're in life anymore. For example, 
I've heard, and you probably have too, the stories of many individuals who were overweight, severely overweight and obese, who realized that they packed on the weight as children as an attempt to shield themselves from pain, right? So the food that they would eat would bring an immediate dopamine high that would remove the the anxiety they were feeling in the moment. And then the physical weight, whether they could identify or articulate it at the time as children, made them feel bigger and stronger. And so whatever, you know, teasing or bullying they got or lack of comfort uh, from being heavier, there was a deeper benefit for them. They felt stronger. As they grew up and matured and were able to identify and address the root of the issue, the trauma, then they found that the weight would start to fall off because it was no longer needed. They no longer needed that protective shell on their bodies because they realized that they were autonomous, that they were now in control, that they had the ability to set boundaries and to relate with people in a healthy way. Their strength was no longer associated with that physical representation, right? They understood that their strength came from within. And that's what I mean when I say that we don't have to identify with the things that we created to protect us. We are now capable of protecting ourselves. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, and I'm going to read just a few verses with you, starting at verse 27. It says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah is a man. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iska were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. If you're confused, <laughs> it's okay. Because you're probably seeing that word Haran multiple times being used in two different ways. Remember, Terah was the father of three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. But when they left Canaan, I'm sorry, when they left Ur of the Chaldeans to head to Canaan, they also stopped in a city called Haran, and they settled there. In the times, many times that I've read the scripture, I never miss the fact that the son that Terah lost was named Haran, and it's also the name of the place where he settled. In our trauma, hurt, and pain, we can have every intention of moving on every intention of going on to the place of healing and restoration. But if we were not careful, we will settle in our trauma. Terah had every intention of going to Canaan, leaving behind the memories associated with the loss of his son in the land of the Chaldeans. Leaving the place where the pain has occurred is hard. I do not want to diminish that. But the hardest part occurs when you've made some progress and that 
step towards healing that you took is better than where you used to be, but you've not fully dealt with the weight of the trauma. And so you're still carrying it with you. And when you do that, you will settle in the memory of that hurt. You will settle in the memory of that pain. And when you settle in your trauma, you'll start to associate it with who you are. I've, I've learned recently as some new traumatic things have happened in life to pray this simple prayer. And it's one that I hope you find beneficial as well. And I prayed, God, let this season be a place I remember only from a position of healing, but no longer a place that I identify with or settle in because this place is not my home. Lord, let this season be a place I remember only from a position of healing, meaning my testimony, but no longer a place I identify with or settle in because this place is not my home. We do not want to identify ourselves by our pain, but we can't ignore it either. So if we don't address it, we're just going to carry it around with us wherever we go. Your new relationship, your new job, your new hobby, your new house, your new business, unaddressed trauma infects and affects everything that you do, but it doesn't have to, right? Not anymore. You can make the choice to not only leave the place of the hurting, but to continue on the journey until you come to a place of healing. You do not have to settle anywhere in between. In her book, Get Out of That Pit, Straight Talk About God's Deliverance, Beth Moore, one of my favorite Bible study teachers of all time, she led to my love of wanting to study the word uh, in a more deep way. She writes in chapter one, uh, this kind of analogy to what it's like when we carry our pit around with us, that sunken place, right? That, that trauma, that hurt, that pain that has gone unaddressed. She says, let's say for years you've been living in an old RV so small you can't stretch your legs or stand up straight. Visualize the clutter of too much baggage in too small a space. Imagine the unavoidable odor of that cramped lavatory. Your clothes even start to smell like it. Or is it your hair? Now imagine that you've been offered a brand new home, a real one on a solid foundation with big closets and wide open spaces. You can hardly wait to move in. Filled with anticipation, you rev up the motor of the old RV and plow it right into the new living room, taking out a wall or two in the way. Ah, finally, a new place to call home. You settle back in your RV seat, take a deep breath and poise yourself to feel something fresh, something different. Then it hits you. That deep breath tasted a lot like that old lavatory. You'd hoped for a change, but your soul sinks with the realization that though you're somewhere new, everything feels and smells hauntingly familiar. And isn't that the truth? When we drag that old experience into the new, that old pain into the new, that old trauma into the new. And I know that maybe some of you have tried. You have tried 
having the confrontation, having those uncomfortable conversations. You've tried therapy. You've tried affirmations. You've tried meditation, venting to friends, or even pretending like it didn't happen or that it didn't hurt you like it did. And none of those things have worked. Look, I am not shaming you. Although I wish I couldn't relate, I definitely can. But I'm asking you as plainly and sincerely as I can to try Jesus. I'm asking you to give yourself another chance. And I am begging you, I am begging you not to settle. In the gospel of Mark chapter eight, Jesus touches a blind man and asks him, do you see anything? The man responds, I see people. They look like trees walking. Jesus then touches the man a second time and the man's sight is completely restored. You might be thinking, what does a blind man have to do with my trauma? I'm glad you asked. Since the blind man said that he saw people who look like trees walking, we can safely assume he wasn't born blind. If so, how would he know what trees or people look like? Think about this for a moment. He's lost his sight completely. And now after one touch, he can see something, right? Okay, so stop here. There are people who would be fine with just seeing something because something is better than what they had. There would be people who would be fine on their way to Canaan, settling in Haran. There are people who would be fine saying, at least I don't cry as much as I used to. At least it doesn't hurt as much as it used to. At least I don't think about it as much as I used to. And they would be satisfied with that. But notice that with a second touch, this blind man was completely healed. There's so much we could unpack here. It could be a book all by itself. Maybe I'll write it. Nevertheless, what I want you to see right now is that this scripture teaches us that sometimes to be complete, we got to give it a second go. Sometimes we need that extra touch and we have to be willing to take that extra step. Our healing all begins with our willingness to be honest about where we are in life. Imagine if the man had been so excited about seeing something that he made something synonymous with being fully healed. Imagine if he'd been willing to just stop there because seeing something was better than nothing. Imagine if he'd been willing to settle. I want to wrap this up with a quote from Mr. Rogers. Yes, that Mr. Rogers. He said, anything that's human is mentionable and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. And friend, that's all this is intended to do. I want to be a person you can trust with the important talk and let you know that you are not alone. I want to validate your experiences and your feelings, but ultimately I want to remind you that you don't have to identify with what you've been through. You are not the sum total of all of the bad things that have happened to you and your value has in no way been, di been diminished. The Bible promises us that when we come to Christ, we become new creations. And Jesus has offered for us to come to him as many times as we need to and lay down our heavy burdens and rest. Friend, it is time to let your soul find rest. I love you so much. And I am committed to going on this journey with you. I'm Shania, and this is Rooted. <laughs>